0: choir, thank you so much for that anthem today. I love that song. And the trio, Sharon and Patty and Bob, it was very, very pretty. Thank you. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, I thank you for your presence with us, Father. Lord, when your son returns, what hope do we have but to be dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne because of his obedience, because of his perfection, because of his forgiveness. Father, that is the foundation of who we are, have been, and will be forever. All of it rests on Christ alone. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word that you would open our hearts through it and by it in the power of your spirit to speak to us. Lord, please help me. Help me to speak clearly help me to speak in a way that doesn't hinder the message of this text. And Father, I pray that everyone who hears would believe on Jesus Christ for their salvation. This I ask in his name and for his sake in our midst. Amen. Well, I can't believe it's Thanksgiving already, or almost. I feel like we just got here. It was June. (laughs) It'll be a very special Thanksgiving for us this year. We haven't been uh, with our families for this holiday in five years. So uh we're particularly thankful today. And I have to mention, I'm very thankful that uh some of my family is here this morning. Um my grandma who we prayed for uh is here with us today. My Uncle Marty from Tennessee. Uh my uh cousins Brianna and Michaela are here. So I'm just very thankful. Very thankful to have them with us. Don't turn around you'll see them and they'll be embarrassed. <laughs> But they're here, I promise. (laughs) What is it exactly that makes us thankful people, if that's what we are? What does it depend on, being thankful? What if somewhere out there, far beyond religious rhetoric or traditionalism or habit, there was a foundation for thankfulness that was real? something that transcended how we might feel or what we might be experiencing at any given moment, something that doesn't ignore or try to brush away what may be the very real pain and suffering of our lives in any given moment, but something that happens to be so much bigger than those things, it literally becomes a refuge for us in the midst of those things. What if that were the case? What if that were true? What if the foundation of thanksgiving inside or outside of the church was a person that never changed rather than something that was dependent on our circumstances? Here we find the prophet Habakkuk this morning speaking to us from the Old Testament. This short little book of the prophet is a bit different from most, I guess, of the prophetic books in that rather than opening with identifications or even dates, and addressing people, Habakkuk addressed God directly. That's what the book is. He wanted answers because he didn't have them. And overall, he was asking, how could it be that God could use as his instrument to judge rebellious Judah an idolatrous kingdom wreaking bloody havoc on all the surrounding nations? Where were God's priorities? How could he allow that? Did he not know? Did he not see? Or most terrifying of all, did God not even care? what was about to happen to them. We're going to focus this morning on the very end of this little book. Primarily, it's easy to identify the structure of Habakkuk. It's, it's it's very earthy for us. Habakkuk complains. God responds. Habakkuk complains again. And God answers again. And then God's Word finds its way into Habakkuk's bones and He responds at the end where we are with a clear head. That's where we'll focus this morning. So even if coming judgment meant that Habakkuk would lose everything, he would still have God, the source of his joy and strength. And the foundation of our thankfulness this morning has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with who our God is. So now may we hear and believe God's word together, beginning in verse 17 of Habakkuk chapter three. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, around 630 B.C., almost 50 years or so before they were exiled to Babylon. This is when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the north, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Both were starting to worry or needed to start worrying about this military power from a kingdom called Babylon. If you remember that all, all through the 8th and 7th centuries, the Assyrians held all the power in that region. But then these upstart Babylonians overthrew their capital, Nineveh in 612 B.C. And then they marched westward and they defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 B.C. at the Euphrates. Now under the command of the king Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians were starting to move south into Syria and Edom and then Israel. In fact, they would attack Judah three times. 605, 597, and 586 B.C. when they would finally carry them away into exile. So Habakkuk prophesied... In a very dark time for Judah, within four or five years of the Babylonian invasion, most likely around the time that King Josiah died and King Jehoiakim was coming into power. In the first four verses of chapter 1, we aren't going to read it. I'm just trying to set the context for us. In the first four verses of chapter 1, Habakkuk looked at his world, right? He looked at what was going on around him and within him in his nation that he loved so much, in his life that he was so concerned to preserve, and he couldn't make sense of any of it in light of the fact that Judah was a part of God's people. So how could things have gotten so bad? Was God really going to raise up the evil Babylonians to judge his people? How long did he have to keep praying? How long did he have to keep telling the Lord, listen, violence is going to come upon us. And justice isn't going to be served. The wicked surround us, God. And God responds that He knows all of that. He's the one raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. (coughs) Habakkuk responds in the latter part of chapter 1 in what feels like shock. You're the Holy One, God. You're the Holy One. How can you use a wicked nation like this to judge us? I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to wait until you answer me. I'm going to file my complaint, and I'm going to wait for you to talk to me. Have you ever wondered why you even pray? Have you ever wondered why sometimes? Does it ever feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, bouncing back down on top of your head? You don't feel like God is listening. You don't feel like God is answering. That's not something unique to our day and age. Or maybe when God does answer and it doesn't make any sense. There's there's history for that everyone in every place and every time has felt like that i've always struggled with that it's normal that's the normal experience and throughout chapter 2 god speaks to his prophet to his child habakkuk and in true god-like fashion he addresses the complaint by telling habakkuk listen you need to trust me to live by faith not by sight And forget about trying to understand life by what you can see with your eyes. The sovereign God who reigns over all things is well aware of what is happening because it's all according to His design. These are the steps that have to take place in order for God to bring about His design in the world for salvation. This is another piece in that puzzle. In 2.14 is kind of the central message here that Habakkuk, listen, one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. The Babylonians are another tool in God's hand to bring that purpose about. That purpose can't be stopped. It will happen. I didn't say I hope it will happen. I said it will happen, Habakkuk. And the prophet's heart is stirred. The Lord is in His holy temple, sitting on His throne. He realizes there's no reason to complain. His heart is stirred as he moves from complaining to faith in chapter chapter 3. In these last... A few verses here are the climax of that prayer of hope in God. And we want to ask, though, or we need to ask, how? How did that happen? What happened? If you were to read all three chapters straight through, the tone at the beginning is very different from the tone at the end. How? What happened that the perspective of Habakkuk changed? Is it that God appeared and said, you know what? Habakkuk, you're right. I thought about it this is a crazy plan I don't know what I was thinking never mind let me go and stop this quickly I'll be right back did God say listen I'm going to show you exactly how everything is going to happen I'm going to give you every detail so that you'll know every single little thing and then you'll be fine neither of those things were God's response first of all maybe the first thing to notice is that God doesn't smite Habakkuk for complaining. He didn't smirk at him because he didn't get it. He didn't call him stupid. He didn't even directly chastise him for doubting. What happened was, God revealed himself to Habakkuk. He says to his prophet, in essence, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who is Lord over all. Don't forget who is sovereign. Don't forget who actually has all the power, who is working all things together to accomplish his purpose. Trust in me. And it is in God's revelation of himself that Habakkuk finds his rest. Habakkuk did not find rest... Because God gave him all the answers. He didn't find rest because he saw all the details of how everything would work out. It wasn't in knowing the how. It wasn't in knowing the why. It wasn't even in knowing the specifics of the what that Habakkuk found his rest. It was when he remembered who this God to whom he cries out actually is that Habakkuk found his rest. The Bible does not forbid our questions beloved it doesn't teach us a doctrine of listen accept this and be quiet that's not the overall sense that we get when revelation comes we act like that's what the bible teaches sometimes unfortunately like we have no issues accepting things but we do have issues accepting things if we're honest very few things in the bible are just easy to say oh okay It's just not normally the way it works. And it's not the way it works when we're in the middle of fear or threat or suffering. We question, we struggle. When we act like we don't, the result is bad. Instead of us being a bunch of broken beggars who are as in need of bread as everyone else in the world, we come off as though we think about the Bible like robots and outwardly religious people that pretend the sufferings and trials and questions of life aren't real. And the watching world gets tired of that. That doesn't witness to anybody that what you need to be is this person who isn't shaken by anything. That's a front. That's a show. And they know it is. God hasn't rescued us because we're smarter than other people. Or because we have the inside track on things more than other people do. God has rescued us because He is gracious and merciful. That's what we want our lives to display. That's what we want our posture and our attitude to display. Look, I needed rescued, and God rescued me. Habakkuk's response is instructive here. He he, he doesn't come to the place where he says, well, so the Babylonians are going to invade. Oh, glory to God. I'm an overcomer. I declare that the Chaldeans will not attack and I will be blessed with money and health and long life and comfort and ease and prosperity. Nobody in the Bible talks like that. There's no answer there. That's not where the Word of God led Habakkuk. It led Habakkuk to peace in the midst of his trouble. Not because there was no trouble. Beloved, wrestle with God through His Word, I mean, if you have to. Yes, it's God. You'll end up walking with a limp, but you'll know who your Savior is, and that's worth everything. Sometimes, sometimes, questioning can actually lead us to His embrace, lead us to deeper realization. When it comes in faith and not in cynicism. God revealed who he was to Habakkuk through his word. And when he remembered who this God was, then he was able to say, though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. It's almost like he stops and says, you know what? The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. See, that's person-driven. The rejoicing has zero to do with circumstances. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God. You see that? Of my salvation. Translation, if when judgment comes, if when God's purposes are carried out, I lose everything, I will still have my God and my Savior, and in Him I have everything. That reversal didn't come because Habakkuk chose to pretend he wasn't about to go through what he was about to go through. It didn't come because God changed his mind about his plan. It didn't come because God hid the truth from him. It came from understanding that in the midst of this world, when the waves crash and the bellows roll and the night falls, there is one constant, one thing that remains, the steadfast, immovable love of God for His people. That is who God is. He's a King, He's a Father, He's a Savior. This is the prayer of hope that comes, what you see in 17 and 18, from seeing God in this Word that He speaks to us. This is a real statement of a man that was going to walk through tremendous trial. That's what it is. It's not a, it's not this, this puffed up statement of how he feels. This is a legitimate belief that he has because of who his God is. No income, no resource, but you'll still be there. No matter what, I have you. That's what he's saying. No matter what, I'll have you. And if I can tell you anything, do you you want to know when you truly begin to live? When you cross over the last hill of your own lies about what will give you peace and realize that having God is having everything. Hear what Habakkuk says there in verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk doesn't get a deposit of strength from God. His strength is God. You see the difference. You see what, what God does, who God is. God doesn't hand out goodies. He is the strength of His struggling people. He gives Himself He gives Himself. Heaven will not be a hall of mirrors. Right? It will be rejoicing in God for eternity. He gives Himself. I will be your strength. I will be the one who fights. I will be the one who works. That's where freedom comes. Not in being assisted, but in being rescued. God doesn't stay on the boat and throw out the buoy, or the. Why can't I think of what a flotation device is called right now? What, is it just flotation device? All right, life jacket. That was it. God doesn't just throw out the life jacket. The illustration is gone. I'm going to just continue, but. But that's where freedom comes. Not from being assisted but from being legitimately rescued he jumps in the water to rescue this is who he is my hope is in the one who would jump in the water for me there is the path to peace there is the path to resting in the arms of God there is the path to freedom to running along the hills and heights like a deer when God is the strength in your legs when God is your salvation God doesn't come near to help us save ourselves. He comes near to pull us out of the water. And for some of us, closeness to God isn't elusive because we can't seem to get things right. It's because we refuse to be honest about how much we need Him. And our whole relationship with Him is based on this front that we put up when we're like that. It's like our relationship with God is... is, somewhere outside of us in this front that the person we want to be that's why God is in a close relationship with us that's not true God knows who you are God knows precisely what you struggle with God knows precisely where you are weak God knows what is actually in your heart the beautiful thing is is that He knows all of that and loves you ferociously and relentlessly anyway that's where hope is that's where life is. Instead, I think we honestly think that God helps those who help themselves. God rejects those who help themselves. Who have to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Nobody's gonna pay for my dinner. Nobody's gonna pay for my salvation. Salvation is a gift. God's help is a gift of grace. It's never earned. It's never merited. So we don't want to think this morning of thankfulness when we start to think through that as some kind of virtue for its own sake. Like, it's better to be a thankful person than an ungrateful person. What's Christian about that? Right? I mean, where is Jesus needed in that equation? It's just better to be a thankful person than an ungrateful person. I know atheists, literally, that would agree that it's better to be thankful than to be ungrateful and probably live it out better than I do sometimes. Now, the issue here is the foundation of thankfulness. Why are we thankful? What makes us thankful? Thankfulness has always been about what we believe can save us, Beloved. That's what thankfulness is about. We live from our own very limited perspectives though, don't we? We all do. I do. If we have the things we think we deserve, we're generally thankful people. If we don't have the things that we think we deserve, we're generally miserable people. Think about that. That makes life a hamster wheel of just trying to get to a place where we're not miserable. But that's the only way we'll be able to live if we believe the foundation of thankfulness is in our hands to gain or to lose. If the foundation of our thankfulness is right circumstances, if the foundation of our thankfulness is perfect kids with minimal problems, If it's a certain income level, a certain kind of relationship, a certain level of recognition or respect or popularity, a certain amount of whatever we like to indulge in, a certain location in which to live, etc., etc., thankfulness will not only always be dependent on something more than what we have, it will always be an indication to us of what we believe can save our souls. And the dirty little secret is that nothing you and I get and no one we know, most of all ourselves, can ever save our souls or give us true peace or give us true contentment or give us true meaning or true life. And I'm not just talking about our eternal destiny when I talk about saving our souls. I mean today, right now, life in the core of who you are. If the foundation of our thankfulness is anything that is temporary, if whether or not we are thankful is at any moment subject to change or to what we have or what we don't have, what we're dependent on to be what we need it to be or him or her to be, peace will never come. It will never come. You, you can ask almost anybody. The loneliest moment in your life is when you finally get what you honestly believed would deliver, and it lets you down. Then you got to start all over again. Our world is the result of that happening to people again and again and again and again. You see how good God is to Habakkuk? Do you see what's distinctly different and unique about God in His Word? we haven't come to know God as precious, as Father, as Savior this morning, then I can understand it would seem like what God says to Habakkuk is a joke, wouldn't it? Oh, you're enough. Well, okay. Right? God is the only one in the universe without an angle when it comes to our peace. Did you know that? He's the only one telling us the truth this morning. God is the only one telling humanity the truth. He says to Habakkuk, I'm not going to change my design, but I'm also not going anywhere. I'll be right here, and I'll catch you as you're falling. And if we say, prove it, we look at God the Son, who wraps himself in human flesh and becomes what he means to save. And then feels it all, beloved. The weight of traveling here. Jesus felt it all. To perform the righteous obedience none of us ever could. To then offer up that life as a perfect offering to God, as payment for the forgiveness of our sins in order to demonstrate His love for us, but almost on human terms, so that we could see it, is what I mean. In real time. And then He rises from the dead, fully vindicated by God, completely successful in purchasing eternal salvation, to ascend back to the Father where He, fully human and fully divine forever, commits to pray for us that our faith will not fail until we get home to Him and see His face and no longer live by faith, but finally live by sight forever. Beloved, that's the solid rock. This is the foundation of our thankfulness. The only person that can't be moved. This is it. What God has revealed about himself in the word and person of his son, Jesus. Our hope is not in what he can give. Our identity is not dependent on what he can take away. Our hope, our identity, the foundation of our thankfulness are found in him. We've all spent enough time trying to find the foundation of thankfulness and what we might not have that we want. But what if the whole time that little nagging voice that there's a better answer somewhere inside of us is found in the Word and the person of Jesus? We attach so much, too much, to our own experiences to determine everything about whether we're contented or at peace. There's a better way. What if we could literally come to a place in our lives where we could pray these verses and mean them. What if God was that sufficient? What if the truth about God isn't based on others' opinions about God? What if God really is this great? Sounds pretty pie in the sky. Unless it's true. Habakkuk is not denying that losing things is painful. He's not saying that loss is pleasant or even pious. He isn't saying that this is as a person to whom these things will never happen, these aren't just wistful words for the rich and the comfortable. They are going to be taken into exile. That will happen. It will happen. What Habakkuk is acknowledging, however, is that there's something that transcends all of that, even being taken away into exile for everyone on earth. There's something that transcends that kind of thing. He is saying that God is better. This is These are qualitative statements. He's saying that God is literally better than blossoming fig trees and fruitful vines. Right? He's... He's better than the accumulation of wealth. He's better than raises. That's what Habakkuk is saying. He gives more comfort than the produce of Habakkuk's work or Judah's work. He gives more comfort qualitatively than they would have if their produce was blossoming. He's better than bountiful herds to the degree... Here, to the degree that if he loses all of them, and the nation of Judah will, the kingdom of Judah will lose all of them, if they do, however, the foundation of his hope and joy does not go with them. The God of this salvation is the foundation of his thankfulness. It's salvation, right? that gives what nothing else can and it cannot be taken from us, no matter what we gain, no matter what we lose, because God gives it. And it's dependent on nothing here. All through the Word of God, our Father is preparing us to lose everything and just have Him. That's what the Bible is doing the whole time. Like it's always on the table. Because this is the world, and everything's temporary. Everything's fading. It's always on the table that tomorrow we could lose everything. God is not unaware of that. God hasn't given some secret code to avoiding that. God is saying, look, that can happen. I'm right here. And I'm not going anywhere. This is the prayer of the poor and the broken It isn't some pie-in-the-sky way to cover up or ignore real pain. It's the only refuge there is for real pain. Something that cannot be taken, and it is Jesus. He is the foundation of our thankfulness, this God of our salvation. In Hebrews 12, the author writes, At that time His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. You see, it's, it's, it's God, not anything or anyone else, that will pick up the universe like a blanket and shake it out. Only His hands are big enough to do that. And He's your God. He's your God. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He shakes things, He breaks things, and He mends things, and He keeps things. This is the word of the Lord. Why is the kingdom that is coming so unshakable, Habakkuk? Well, Because its builder is unshakable. My God. His God. Your God. This is the word of the Lord. This is the promise. Everything God promised to Habakkuk, which is centered in that book on chapter 2, verse 14. Everything God promised will come true. It's what that text says saying, how is it exactly that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? As the full and final word of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is what? The radiance of the glory of God spreads to all nations through the gospel. That is how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. The unstoppable advance of the gospel. Do you know the blood, sweat, and work that has been put into stamping out what is your foundation? And here we are. You, you, You stamp on it, and it grows. There's nothing the world can do about it. There's nothing ultimately that the evil one, our accuser, can do about it. Nothing. It can't be shaken. Nobody can take it out of God's hands and shake it. This is our hope. This is the foundation of thankfulness. Habakkuk was always safe because Jesus will always accomplish God's word. The one who makes these promises can't be shaken. He is our foundation. Arthur Pink is right. Everything about God is great, vast, incomparable. He never forgets, never fails, never falters, never forgets His Word. So, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all of it is shifting sand. That's the anthem of the believer, of the hopeful. The foundation of our thankfulness has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with who our God is. As all around our souls give way, He remains our hope and stay. We are not thankful people because God has answered every question now. We are not thankful people because God has made every problem go away. We are not thankful people because we've gotten everything we've ever wanted and never suffer. We'll always have questions. We'll always have troubles here. We are a thankful people because our hope our joy, our identity, and our lives are rooted in a God who cannot be moved and every word He has given to us is and will always come true through Jesus Christ. He alone is our foundation this morning and not first because of what He gives but because of who He is. And all of you have to know this morning, all of you have to know this morning that he is who he is for everyone that comes to him god's shoulders are very broad and every one of you is welcome on them call out to him this morning call out to this foundation it can't be shaken you won't be moved no matter how high the river gets. Look to Christ this morning, beloved. Look to Christ. God forgives sinners who come to Him in repentance, in faith. He forgives you of all of it. And He'll keep you forever. He'll keep you forever. Don't be scared away by this idea that, well, I probably won't be able to hold out. You aren't. He is. When you let go, He's clinging. Come to Him this morning. Lay down your rebellion. Lay it down. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. Lay it down. Surrender to Christ. And believer, as you struggle to walk through this world, having some of the answers being granted to us, but still not understanding everything, cling to Him. You see, Jesus is always a Savior, whether you know Him or not. He's always the Savior. June is going to come and play a hymn of invitation. I'll be here in front after I pray if you want to come and pray. This is also the time if you decide this church is the one you where you want to make your home, you can become a member, come forward, let us know. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that this morning you would help. Help us to focus on your son completely in these next few moments. Lord, I pray that who Jesus is would be the main thing we are realizing in in these moments, Father. I pray that you would cause all of us, enable all of us to look to him. Lord, may we remember as we head into this week why we're thankful that we might be thankful. Guide our hearts now, I ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.